Welcome to Center Stage. My name is Mark Gordon. Kingdom of Shadows takes an unflinching look at the human cost of the U.S.-Mexico drug war through the perspectives of three individuals, a U.S. drug enforcement agent on the border, an activist nun in violence-scarred Monterey, Mexico, and a former Texas smuggler. The film reveals the human side of an often misunderstood conflict that has resulted in a growing human rights crisis. Stay tuned as we go center stage with Bernardo Ruiz, director of Kingdom of Shadows. Good evening, Bernardo, and welcome to Center Stage. Great to, great to be here. Now tell me about the genesis of this uh, film. You know, I had been working on similar, uh, kind of similar-themed similar project um, in a previous documentary called Reportero, or The Reporter, which is about a journalist covering organized crime and, and political corruption in northern Mexico. And that was a kind of two-and-a-half-year process. Um, that film was eventually nominated for an Emmy, for a News and Documentary Emmy. Um, and But during the kind of production process, I started to hear about the issue of people being disappeared or taken in Mexico as a result of the drug violence there. And so I, you know, I became very interested in, in that story. And basically that led to Sister Consuelo, who's one of the characters in the film, uh, so that's kind of what what kickstarted this process. But but what I really wanted to do was just to to make a film that um, would incorporate different perspectives because because it's such a complex issue. I wanted to have three different points of view and you know three really compelling points of view. And that's ultimately what I what I think I was able to do with the film is you know weave together the stories of three different people that have been impacted by by this conflict. I saw it in your film that what is it, 23,000 people are disappeared in Mexico. That's right. And, you know, uh, according to Amnesty, that figure has actually gone up to 26,000. And those are, the, you know, those are the official figures. Many journalists and, and many human rights activists believe that number to be much higher. So it is a kind of, um, it's a stunning number. It's a kind of horrific number when, when you think about it. And, you know, Sister Consuelo says in the film, many of the people who have disappeared or who have been disappeared are, you know, in, innocents, people who have no ties to the drug trade whatsoever, but who are in the wrong place at the wrong time, mistaken for somebody who was involved. It's just that this general climate of insecurity has, you know, has generated all this violence and many people have unfortunately been, been swallowed up as a result of that violence. Now, did you ever feel threatened because you're exposing this issue. Did you ever feel that your life might have been in danger? And were there situations that you felt compromised in any way? You know, I work with a very small team, and all of my collaborators are, you know, it's three or four people, depending on, on the shoot day. Um, you know, everyone that I work with has experience working on these kinds of issues. And I also have learned, I learned from the previous film, from following the journalists, that you really can't work with security. You know, you, there's no way that you can have an intimate uh, interview or kind of gain intimate access as a filmmaker if there, you have an armed guard around. It's just not going to happen. So we've I've never worked in kind of that way with security. And um, but you know, I I do have the privilege. You know, I'm a dual citizen. I live in the United States. I do I do have that privilege of leaving if things get complicated or difficult. And you know, the, the people at the center of the film, uh, in particular Sister Consuelo, you know, she, she and the families that she's accompanying in her work, they're the ones who face the kind of greatest risk. Um, 
Consuelo has been, you know, she's had her life threatened and uh, for her work. And, you know, sometimes just trying to get institutions to work in, in parts of Mexico is a kind of radical proposition. And so she and, and the families are ultimately the one who kind of face the biggest, the biggest danger for, um, you know, exposing sometimes corruption and, and pushing authorities to do their jobs. You've been making films since 1998. What did you learn about the process making Kingdom of Shadows? You know, I think this was the most ambitious uh, project that I've, I've undertaken you know, so far. And in part is because I kind of, I was um, really influenced by kind of these big sweep novels. Um, in particular, uh, you know, writers like Roberto Bolaño, who writes, you know, at least his novels are these... Um, books made out of the voices of many different people um, and they kind of have a cumulative effect on you they kind of you know work um, their magic over time and I, I was really you know I was inspired by that that approach and so what I wanted was this 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 story to feel like a kind of um, you know a chorus of voices and um, you know especially with this issue with this the organized crime issue or the narco issue you know, I don't think that there's, it's a little bit like staring at the sun. This You can't really do it for very long. You can't, and you can't really get a frontal view of it very easily. But what you can do is see how it's impacted people and communities. And so, you know, what I wanted to do was try to, you know, tell a story through the fragments and, and how people have been impacted and to hear lots of different perspectives. So I think for me, the, the lesson was in how to put uh, all of these fragments together, how to you know, how to tell a story through multiple voices and, um, you know, and ultimately kind of learn about how this, this kind of, you know, this conflict has harmed so many people on both sides of the border. How do you go about building up rapport so that you can get uh, intimate conversations from your subjects? With rapport, there's no real, like, um, you know, silver bullet or I think it's really just time. Uh, it's a willingness to, to spend time with the participants in the film and also to, you know, to, to be transparent, to be honest. I mean, I do maintain, you know, I maintain a distance and I maintain my editorial autonomy because I think that's important. But at the same time, that doesn't mean you're an automaton and you're not sharing things about yourself and, you know, who you are. And so, um, that's, that's always, I think, central to, to what we do in documentary is how the, the type of relationship we foster with, um, the person we're following or, or filming. And, you know, in each case, um, in this film, you know, you have three people, you have a federal agent, Oscar Hagelseeb, you have a former drug smuggler, Don Henry Ford, who's kind of a cowboy smuggler, and Sister Consuelo, who's a nun and, and a human rights activist. And with each one of them, I really respected the logic of their, their perspective. I really, you know, worked very hard to just see, try to see things from their point of view. And that's ultimately what I, I hope comes out in the film is that each one of their their you know their their points of view has validity and each one of their experiences gets a certain kind of weight and you know I think what that gives the viewer is it gives the viewer a kind of bigger picture view more than would be possible if it was just one perspective you know one 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 point of view. What impressed you most about these uh, people? You know, one of the things that I found fascinating about them is all of them is that they are kind of you know they're larger than life figures in some ways they're they're characters that i think um they certainly defy stereotypes 
um, you know, Oscar Hagelseeb, you know, if, if you, you know, we meet him in the film and a lot of people would see, look at him and think, you know, he's, he was a gang member or, or a biker. He's, um, you know, he's got tattoos up his, up and down his arms and he's a pretty, you know, he's a pretty tough looking character, but, you know, turns out that he's a high ranking Homeland Security agent. Um, same thing with Don Henry Ford, you know, he looks like a, a kind of classic American cowboy, but was in fact, a, you know, working for one of the most ruthless organized crime groups in the 1980s in Mexico, the Juarez cartel. And even Consuelo, you know, I, I think she, she defies stereotypes too, because on, you know, on the surface, she looks like a quiet <laughs> sort of nun. Um, but, but she's in fact, a kind of arguably the bravest person in the film. She's the one who's pushing these public officials who don't always want to do their jobs to, to do what they're supposed to do. And, you know, that's a very dangerous proposition, as I mentioned before. So what I loved about all of them is that their their stories are stranger than any fiction. You know, if this had been a fictional film, I would be accused of inventing, you know, these outlandish stories. But the, in this case, these these stories, these true testimonies are much, much richer and more, I, I think they're more novelistic than than a lot of fiction. Did you have an intention with making Kingdom of Shadows? And what, if so, what was that? You know, I, I didn't have a, a political agenda, um, but I did have this this goal of getting close to the three people, close enough to the three participants so that we could, through their stories, we could get a glimpse of this bigger picture um, issue, this, you know, this, this narco conflict. You know, I, I think that so much of the media around the narco conflict um, is really sensationalized, and it often, not always, but it often dehumanizes the people at the center of the conflict. You know, their their series and their telenovelas and their big Hollywood movies, and you know, even a few other documentaries that touch on the subject matter. But often, I, I I'm missing some some context from from those projects, and I certainly don't get a sense of the the people at the center of this conflict. So what was most important to me was to try to spend time with three people who are also kind of great at sharing their testimony. And I, I think that's what you have in Consuelo and, and Oscar and, and Don, or they're three people who are kind of um, great narrators of their own lives. Did you have any preconceived notions about the drug cartels or the drug wars? And when you started to go in and really sift through this material and learn about these people and this culture, did it change? Yeah, I, I think like everyone else, um, I have my my preconceived notions and, and biases. I mean, I think even, you know, when I first met Oscar Hagelsey by the federal agent, I met him through two journalist friends in Texas. And, um, you know, I was, uh, they didn't tell me what he looked like. In a way, they kind of played a trick on me. And I was at a cafe in El Paso waiting for for what you know what I thought a federal agent would look like um like I was you know waiting for a square-jawed guy in a, a suit you know a very kind of particular look and it was only afterwards that I realized you know the the, the person who I you know was least the least probable federal agent was in fact the federal agent and I you know I I, I think when it comes to this issue when it comes to the drug war things aren't always what they appear to be um, and so I think there were many times along the way when I realized, you know, this is, um, it's always more complex than you think it is. And, you know, and the truth is always more interesting than, you know, anything you, any kind of lazy fiction that you could come up with. Um, people's stories often defy the tropes and the stereotypes. And, and that's always more interesting. I think it's more interesting for, as a filmmaker, definitely more interesting for an audience. Well, with the way he presents himself, he 
that was one of the reasons, I believe, from the film is how he was able to gain access to these drug dealers. That's right. I mean, he used, he leveraged his, you know, his identity as, um, you know, as a border person, as a Mexican-American who grew up on the, you know, in, a, in Socorro, which is a little town outside of El Paso that was a staging ground for organized crime groups for the Juarez cartel in particular. He, you know, he grew up around uh, a bunch of people who ended up going into organized crime. So he, you know, the, the, in a way it was like an acting role. Um, you know, he describes it very well in the film that it's, you adopt this identity and you know, the codes and you know how to, you know, talk the talk and that allows you to infiltrate these organized crime groups. Um, but obviously a very kind of harrowing situation because at any moment, um, you know, your identity could be compromised. And, you know, again, here's someone whose personal life story is, um, you know, richer and more fascinating than I think any kind of Hollywood fiction could come up with. What was your biggest challenge in making this film? The biggest challenge was really traveling between these three different, very different places that are also kind of connected in a way. So I was filming in El Paso, in the northern Mexican city of Monterrey, and um, out by San Antonio on Don Henry Ford's ranch and just, you know, crossing crossing the border, going back and forth often and trying to kind of keep the whole thing together was was a challenge, but it was a kind of a great challenge. And, you know, obviously security is an issue in, in parts of Mexico. I, you know, oftentimes think that Mexico is painted with one brush in the U.S. media, and obviously there are many Mexicos, just as there are many you know, many Americas in this country, but, but yeah, certainly in some of the places that we were filming, there was some, you know, there were certainly some challenges and always being aware of security is just something that's inevitable when you're filming in kind of in difficult areas. What is that brush? Tell me about that. Tell me about the perspective that you find America has with this Mexican drug war. Well, you know, I think it's, there's a funny relationship between the U.S. and Mexico. It's, um, you know, I, I think of it as a kind of love-hate relationship, a kind of dysfunctional relationship. The two countries can't even agree on the name of, of the river that, divide, that divides the two countries. You know, in Mexico, it's the Rio Bravo. And here in the U.S., it's the Rio Grande. And there's really a kind of, um, you know, sometimes kind of competing worldviews. At the same time, the two countries are deeply, deeply connected culturally, demographically, and then economically. And here in the U.S., we don't often hear about the kind of deep economic ties that the two countries have. I think most people don't know that Mexico is the third largest largest uh, trading partner of the United States. It's like the second largest market for U.S. exports. So, you know, the U.S. economy relies heavily on Mexico just on, on that level alone, nothing to say of you know, the labor and, you know, people who live and work in this in the United States. So I think, you know, that, that complexity is, is really interesting. And I think it often gets ignored or flattened out by, by uh, you know, different media sources. And, and look, we're also in a moment in time where, um, you know, political pundits, you know, are, you know, uh, using the U.S.-Mexico border and or Mexicans as a kind of, um, as a kind of a punching bag to, to play to their bases. And I think while that riles people up, it doesn't really help people understand the reality of uh, the connections between the two countries. To me, that's a more interesting place to tell stories. And I think it's also, I think it's a missed opportunity in a lot of media outlets to go deeper and to, you know, tell a kind of more sophisticated story. And we're on the line with Bernardo Ruiz. He's the director of Kingdom of Shadows. Tell me about your process 
as a documentary filmmaker. Is there a specific structure that you have and you use that for each film that you make or does it change and evolve? You know, I try to let the story itself or, you know, or the, the, the people that I'm following dictate the structure. I mean, I like to think about it a little bit as like following the grain of wood, you know, that if you're doing your job well as a documentarian, you're listening to what's happening and you're going, you know, you're following events as they're changing. At the same time, you know, you have to be aware of how, um, you know, how to give something shape to not just uh, sort of uh, be totally acted upon by events and and have no perspective. Um, I'm very interested in kind of... um, shaping the story so and and providing analysis and a, and a perspective so it's that combination of uh, improvisation and at the same time rigor you know those that, that it's that tension that is really interesting in documentary it's not like fiction where you can ostensibly control a set and direct actors and shape things in a very kind of concrete way you know in documentary we're obviously reacting to and um, events and improvising and following going with the flow at the same time you're trying to keep you're trying to keep a kind of hold on the story that you're trying to tell that that story can change of course but you're you know you're you're trying to um shape the thing as it as it's as it's happening and i think that you know it's a very as you know as a filmmaker as a writer that's a very exciting proposition because it's like this living breathing thing and um when it works it's it's thrilling did you have a thesis going into the film and when you started work on it, did it change? Yeah, I really didn't have a thesis other than a desire to to kind of spend time with these three voices and to kind of but I was really open to letting them and their stories kind of lead me to where they were gonna go. I think if if a kind of thesis has come out of it, it's in part it's the kind of um the harm that has been done by this conflict and, you know, so I think some, sometimes some misguided policies, but I think more than a, a kind of an, a, a political story, it's really a story about how people, how their lives have been impacted and, and also just how the drug trade has changed. You know, I think in the 1980s when Don Henry Ford was smuggling kind of at the height of the just say no era, you could do business with a handshake and he worked for different organized crime groups. Um, and uh, it was a very different different type of trade you know to today which is hyper violent and um there are organized crime groups that have kind of wreaked havoc in in entire regions in mexico um fueled by u.s dollars from u.s consumption often and if there was a a kind of perspective or desire was to kind of look at how things had changed how they had gone from this different type of trade to this current type of uh you know drug business that's that's caused so much harm you know, Don Henry Ford's story is emblematic of a different era, totally in in the drug business, and um, you know, s- um, smaller players, less less fragmentation, and less of the kind of huge sums of money that that you know ended up uh, changing the business. You know, some people would say that you know, as Colombia, you know, the country became less of an epicenter for a certain type of drug business that Mexico took on this role. And as, as that happened, as more money started coming in, 
and all certainly as you started having the involvement of uh, you know security forces then then everything changed and um, it is absolutely fascinating to have the perspective of someone like Don Ford who who lived through it you know served time for for smuggling but survived the whole experience and and now has such a fascinating perspective on the whole business when you were working on the film what was there something that really shocked you and disturbed you about this drug war there's an interview in the film that we obtained uh, from a journalist colleague in, in the city of Monterrey. And um, it's an interview with a masked man who works for the Setas, who are basically one of the more ruthless organized crime groups, and that's saying a lot. And in the interview, we, we hear him discuss how he dissolves bodies, you know, how his job is to eliminate unwanted people for whatever reason, you know, someone who saw the wrong thing, someone who's in the wrong place at the wrong time, someone who owed a debt, uh, someone who was murdered to make a point, you know, what, whatever the reason, his job is to dissolve those bodies. And he describes in detail what, 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 that, what that entails. And I really struggled with whether or not to include that, that interview in the film. I, I think that Oftentimes, again, as you know, as I said before, I think this is a, a topic that's been you know, hyper sensationalized and really exploited. But I felt like in order for an audience to really understand the level to which things have sunk in parts of Mexico, and again, you know, really tied to this kind of to, to U.S. consumption um, that's really kind of made some of these organized crime groups so powerful. In order to understand that, we really need to hear from kind of from the darkness, you know, from the shadows. And so, I, you know, the interview is in the film. It's, it's very disturbing. It's, um, you know, the, the, the masked person tells us that um, there was a period where he couldn't eat chicken. He couldn't eat roast meat because the smell reminded him of the bodies he was burning. And, you know, that's not something that you enjoy putting in a film. At the same time, if the goal is to, um, to kind of educate an audience and, and, and demonstrate how... Uh, how you know how difficult things have become then then I, I felt like that I personally felt like that was necessary to include so that was a kind of you know dark realization not something that was pleasant but I, I felt like necessary to understanding what what many communities in Mexico have had to live through but isn't also necessary to build tension and to make your film even more compelling yeah I, I definitely think that that's that's part of it and I, I think the way I think of it is you know, in order for an audience, especially in the U.S., to understand what the families um, in Mexico are, or the, those who are searching for their loved ones, those who've disappeared, in order for someone stateside to understand, you know, what the stakes are, you really need to know how, you know, how serious the forces allied against them are. And I think that interview and, and that kind of um, understanding that really clar- like sharpens that for people. It gives them a kind of clear understanding of this is, you know, what they're facing is very serious. And, and the consequences for them speaking up are extremely serious. What would you like an audience to go away with after they see your film? What, one thing that, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited about with this film is that I think it, it really generates different perspectives. I, I had a fascinating screening in El Paso where half the audience was made up of federal agents and the other half were progressive activists, you know, people who work on immigration issues and human rights issues uh, along the U.S.-Mexico border. And, you know, the, the, the conversation and the debate, you know, heated as it was at times it ensued was just really kind of remarkable. And I think that you know, I, what I want a film like this to do is just to, you know, show people that it's much more complex than, than people often think of. And I also think that, you know, we need a, a more 
sophisticated, a more human conversation about the relationship between the U.S. and Mexico. You know, certainly when it comes to you know we talk when we talk about who's been harmed in in this um, in this conflict with you know and under some I think some egregious uh, policies. You know, communities on both sides of the border. You know, whether it's it's people who've been harmed by, through addiction or incarceration in the United States or. Uh, communities that have been devastated and lost loved ones and, you know, who've been kidnapped or tortured or murdered for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, I think we need to begin to have a kind of um, just a smarter, more humane dialogue. Is that the objective of uh, making film is to create that dialogue and that discourse about social issues? You know, I am interested in the way that journalism and documentary kind of work together. And I am interested in, in, you know, informing an audience. At the same time, I want people to have a kind of emotional, visceral experience. And I want them to connect with the participants in the film because I think that's really important. And again, you know, one of the things I really wanted to do was to respect the logic of each character, each person, each voice in the film. So I, I, I want audiences to come out with a sense of, you know, a how complicated it is, and and I want them to spend time in the shoes of each one of the characters, and and tr- to try to see this issue from from their perspective. What are the three most important elements of making a film? I can't speak for all of filmmaking, but I for you know in my kind of humble little corner of the documentary world, you know I think the most important things are to you know to really to kind of be true to to to, to follow events and people, you know truthfully, even if we don't agree with them ideologically, I think that's that's really important. Do you think that makes a better film when you don't agree with the person that you're the subject of your film? I do. I do. Because I, I think that, um, you know, if, if first, how boring would it be if we were making films with, you know, about people we agreed with that, you know, that just becomes propaganda. And it would be lazy, too. I think part of what's interesting is reporting against your assumptions, you know, having your assumptions challenged. Can't you also spin it if you're if you're interviewing someone that you despise, you can also spin it so it becomes propaganda. There's always that risk, right? If you're checking yourself as much as possible, I mean, look, we're all biased and we all have our perspectives, but I do think there's a way in which you can safeguard against a lot of that by not trying to be manipulative and, again, by trying to respect the logic of the person that you're spending time with or interviewing you know for instance in the you know in the film we have that interview with the you know with this organized crime figure who's who's masked to protect his identity and you know i clearly don't agree with that person's position or or their job at the same time just letting that person speak reveals volumes about a situation you know i don't i don't have to tell them in an interview that what they're doing is wrong that's that's not going to be that's going to help the the kind of public's understanding of this issue just putting it out there you know is enough i think do you ever see yourself doing features moving away from documentary and moving into features you know i think it's a really interesting time for documentaries the audience appetite has really grown and i would i think in some ways the kind of space that um you know independent fiction films used to take documentary has stepped into that space a little bit obviously a lot of directors from the fiction world uh, from the independent feature world have gone into television to these great episodic dramas that we're seeing right now those of us making documentaries and you know are we're 
I, we're starting to see audiences, I think, similar types of audiences that were interested in independent fiction or art house, uh, you know, films of the past. Um, so I think, you know, I'm, I'm kind of happy to be doing this this type of documentary work right now. I would, you know, I would consider doing a fiction film if I, I'm most interested in stories that are kind of based on, um, you know, original stories or reporting. So I think if there was some kind of story that that fit that that niche um i i would you know i would certainly be interested in uh, that's also i think you know that's why someone would hire me is because that those are kinds of things that i'm that i'm interested in but for now you know i i, I want to keep uh pushing on the documentary front i think there's so many stories to be told and i do think oftentimes these stories are more you know they can be they, they can be wilder and stranger in some ways than than fiction did you have a mentor starting out I've had a couple of mentors along the way. I, I would say that I think I've learned to do this as much as I've, I'm I'm able to do this through um, you know trial and error, and and also and just by working by by starting off and and, and working really uh, pretty young. I you know I did work in in fiction film. Um, I worked as a production assistant on Spike Lee's Clockers when I was like 19 or something, and I worked on short films and. Um, but I was always really interested in in how to kind of combine journalism and, and cinema, and um, you know just really learned by working with people like uh, Orlando Bagwell, who was one of the original producers on Eyes on the Prize, or the you know the, I think the second iteration of that, and and working with a lot of people in kind of public media and documentary. But my school has really been just making the work itself. You talk about trial and error. Tell me about a time that you tried something and it didn't work and what happened and how did you let's say get back on board to what kind of corrections did you make so that you wouldn't do that same thing in the next film that you made um it's a it's a great question um you know actually when i started my what ended up becoming the the first documentary feature that i made was reportero you know, I, what I re- originally wanted to do is I wanted to make a short film about this shelter for deported uh, kids, basically deported um, children. And I just thought I was going to make a kind of quiet, short film about this this place that was receiving deported kids. And in about 2008 is when I started looking into it, maybe a little earlier. But, you know, when I got to the shelter in the city, this border city of Mexicali, that's when I started hearing about how people's lives have been impacted by this growing wave of violence. It made me realize that I didn't really know, I didn't understand the context. You know, I was going in with this kind of idea of what things were supposed to be or what they were supposed to look like. And that at that moment, I realized, you know, my job is really to listen and to pay attention to what's happening here on the ground and and to um, be responding rather than kind of imposing. It was that process of listening that eventually led me to the reporter character, the journalist, uh, Sergio Otto, who I ended up following for two and a half years. And that became this this film, you know, that was nominated for an Emmy, it was on POV in 2013. So I think the, the lesson there, at least on the documentary side, is to just, you know, to follow the story, to not go in with um, such tightly held kind of uh, ideas of what the film is supposed to look like, but to kind of let it let it flow just going back to what we talked about before, I think that the challenge is always in balancing that kind of openness with, with a kind of a vision, you know, and, and that's that the tension between the two is really what kind of, I think, makes for interesting documentaries. Is there a through line 
a specific through line that you look for in a project before you want to start? And, and if so, what is that? What is it that ultimately resonates with you as a filmmaker? You know, that's a good question. I, I try not to think too much about that through line, although I think sometimes it's there and I'm, I, I try to be open while at the same time understanding that there's probably, you know, if you're being attentive and listening to the story, you know, there's a kind of natural structure to it. And, you know, again, people work in different ways and they, some people do come in with a kind of very clear structure of what they, they want to do. The storytelling is so embedded in who we are that I, I think that if we're attentive, we kind of, we can hear the kind of natural rhythms to a story and, and, and work from there. For more on Center Stage, visit stageandscreen.com. And hey, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Until next time, this is Mark Gordon, and I'll see you Center Stage. Center Stage, Center Stage, Center, Center, Center Stage. Center Stage. Center Stage is taped in front of a live studio audience. Hello, this is Homer Simpson. Whenever I want to know what's going on in the entertainment world, I listen to Center Stage with Mark Gordon.